0: Hi, you're tuning in to the Thank You Enjoy podcast. I'm Allison.
1: And I'm Ethan. And this is our podcast where we talk about Asian and Asian American culture and media.
0: We will also be sharing our analyses and personal thoughts on Asian American identity and diaspora.
1: Hello and welcome to this new episode of Thank You and Joy. This Thank You and Joy episode is our Thanksgiving special. And regardless of what you think of Thanksgiving and its questionable history, I think the one thing we can agree on is the first thing you think of when you think Thanksgiving is food. And so this is our very first food episode. Thank you, Enjoy. I'm really excited to be embarking on this little adventure that we're going to have. And for this episode, we actually have a special guest. Uh, we have Jennifer Liao here, who is a friend of both, uh, a friend that we met through UCLA radio. Jen, go ahead and introduce yourself. What is your cultural background and why did you want to be on the show with us today?
2: Yeah, I'm Jen and both my parents are from Taiwan. So I'm Taiwanese-American. Yeah, they immigrated here and then I was born here in the States. Uh, And I live in California for most of my life. So I grew up in a neighborhood that is pretty connected to Asian roots. Yeah, so I guess when, you know, you guys reached out to me, I, I feel like I've always had a lot of thoughts about Asian culture and especially like Asian American culture and how we're like represented and the different like nuances, I guess, as it's something that I guess is important to me as like part of my identity. Right. So I thought it'd be fun to discuss. Yeah. I think, I think it started like, I I was just like going off about some restaurants to you and then you were like,
1: oh. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 this would be perfect, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for hopping on board. Happy to have you. I
0: have a quick question, Jen. What is the neighborhood you grew up in that had like oh. Asian? Areas?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I grew up in Cupertino in the Bay Area. Bay Area. Baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. right.
1: You know where Apple
2: is.
0: Yeah,
1: Silicon Valley. That's like a whole plethora. <laughs> that's like a whole plethora of like uh, Asian. Asian development, I want to say, where it's like, there's like this very unique community now where it's like, you have to have like the tech workers, like influencing the area of Cupertino and how there's like, I think Somi Somi just opened, like, uh, just like the past year or two, Somi Somi just opened their new location. It's next to 85 degrees. Like they have this whole plaza that just opened up in Cupertino. And yeah. it's kind of like one of those plazas that, that kind of arose from the tech boom in the Silicon Valley, but it's like very Asian centric, which is really interesting. hmm yeah so cool and now you're based in New York right um Jen and
2: yeah I've been in New York for like two and a half years trying to (laughs) find myself
0: (laughs) I think I think it'll be interesting because I I'm from Southern California I grew up in a neighborhood that had a lot of Asian roots so I'm from Arcadia so I'm definitely down later in the podcast going to be very interested in hearing both our thoughts of like West coast versus East coast, Mm -hmm. like the Asian food scene. And I think it was interesting that you mentioned how food is ingrained in kind of our identities because I feel like for a while everyone was like, Oh, Asians are like foodies. Like apparently we just know all the best spots to eat. <laughs> so they're like, they're like, yeah, if a lot of Asians are eating there, it's probably really good. And like, yeah, honestly, you're probably not wrong. <laughs> like, I only eat at the best places. Um, but yeah, going to this episode, uh, I would hope this is our first episode of many food episodes on this podcast because I love talking and reading about food politics But I think first and foremost, it's important to say that food is political. Like no matter how you see it, food is very political from like how we source our food to how it gets to our plate. It's a very political process. And the inspiration for for this podcast actually came from an article on the Land Mag about the different dim sum places in Southern California, to which I think Ethan and I, we were reading it. And I don't know if we had both been to some dim sum places on the, listed in the article or no.
1: I'm trying to remember which ones they mentioned. I, um, did they mention Atlantic? Because I've been there. So I don't think they did.
0: <laughs> I think so. They, they mentioned like a whole bunch. Yeah, they did. But yeah. I think like what, yeah, I think what kind of spurred the conversation was more like Oh, what is an authentic, quote, experience, like dim sum experience for us? And, you know, we had some initial thoughts. And then I was getting into a little bit more about food politics. And it's like the idea of authenticity is fake because authenticity is very personalized and it's not a set standard. So, um, just for like listeners out there, what the language is being shifted to is traditional. So, um, a lot of like what our parents ate or still eat versus, and also like what we ate as kids, that is stuck in a certain time and food is always constantly evolving. So like what we ate is not, is probably not exactly what people are eating in Taiwan now because food is always evolving. So yeah, we're kind of sticking to the terms of like traditional in terms of talking about what we remember eating and things like that. So, yeah, if you want to, like, talk about what is an authentic, quote, dim sum experience, like, what do you guys first think of? And, like, what do you expect when you walk into a dim sum place?
1: Jen, I'll let you answer that first.
0: <laughs> dim sum place?
2: I guess, like, really big round tables covered in, like, table, like, that thick tablecloth. Or sometimes yeah. It's yeah. just a like, mm-hmm. sheet of paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes sometimes and those, both. like... <laughs> dining chairs with like the really high bags they're also covered in like the same cloth
0: yeah it's and always then, like a banquet style right like yeah and yeah, yeah, there's it's like, like a, a wall hall. with like
2: yeah for like weddings and you know obviously like the dim sum carts.
1: Mm. um
2: yeah that's what I think
0: of I think. And then, what about you?
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say this. My answer is probably similar to Jen's. Uh, I always imagine I'm going into like some large hall, like so. It's like a large hall that I can imagine a whole wedding taking place in, and yet there mm-hmm. are individual tables that everyone kind of has their own little community at these tables, and I'm imagining the sound like it's loud. It's quite cacophonous. There's always people talking over each other. It's yeah. um, it, you know, you have the um you have the Chinese aunties pushing the carts around yelling out what dishes they have. And then you have the people waving them down saying, I want that. I want that. And then being all, being all, you're going toss you or something, or, you know, something like that, like, like Trump fun or something like that. So I'm imagining that I'm imagining it being crowded, not too clean either. Like just kind of acceptably clean. Acceptably clean. Yeah, just acceptably <laughs> clean. And that's okay. Fair <laughs> um, minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, Yeah, so that's what I think of. And it's funny because when you were talking about authenticity just now, I sometimes think about how there's times where I go to a dim sum place and it's like it feels authentic in terms of just that feel and just that environment. But the (laughs) food that you get is quite interesting too because I remember going to Atlantic Dim Sum over in Monterey Park and they had my favorite Hong Kong bun, which was cocktail bun, gai mei bao. And their gai mei bao is totally like, Different from other guy May it's like a very tiny version, and so I sometimes see like those novelty things at Deem Sum, and I sometimes think of that as well, where it's like not yeah. exactly Deem Sum, but it's it's not supposed to be Deem Sum. It's kind of something that was made for Deem Sum for this restaurant, and it's like a smaller version, and it's like not exactly as good either, because you're better off going to a bakery to get some of this stuff than at a Deem Sum place. Mm-hmm. But yet they still have it, so I think of that as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like also like for me, like dim sum experiences, it's also like you have to have like uh, specific dishes. Like I have to have yeah. shumai, hargao, um the hargao, Sometimes yeah. they're like yeah, they're like fried dumplings, uh, and I also really like the steamed pork pork ribs. I think
1: oh, that's, and I think you can t- um, Pike what? Yeah, that's Pike what? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because, like, I feel like the steamed pork ribs tells you a lot about what type of dim sum place it is because some people do just the pork ribs with, like, the, like, black bean. I don't know if that's, like,
1: yeah, I I think I know what what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: And then some people do it with, like, um, pumpkin, which is apparently, like, a different region. So, like, that kind of tells you a little bit about, like, the regionality of the dim sum
1: right yeah yeah i totally agree with yeah. you on that on that so it's like it's kind of like if you want to know the personality of a dim sum place just get their pike quite
0: <laughs> yeah it's like it tells you a little bit about it's just a little bit more about like the dim sum stuff
1: yeah but yeah. also
0: yeah but i also am like thinking of like it's super crowded i feel like people are shoving their chairs into each other like there's definitely like, some kind of chair war <laughs> happening at every oh, yeah. table definitely like you're like pushing back against someone else you're sitting next to um my favorite is when like the cart ladies try to give you something that you don't want they're yeah, like oh yeah, yeah. you'll like this and then we're like we don't want that we don't want that and yeah, they're like no yeah, no yeah. no. you want it you want it <laughs> we're like no we don't
1: yeah 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 there's, there's a certain <laughs> level of rudeness in a uh dim sum yeah place you kind of need it right? it's completely acceptable though Where it's like I, I find myself regressing to this rude behavior that would be considered rude anywhere else but here it's considered like a safe haven and like i'm yeah. it, the last time i went to dim sum was in february and i went with some friends and I realized that my friends hadn't really seen that side of me before. I think where because I was the oh, only were you one, being rude? Well, I was the only one who spoke <laughs> Cantonese, so I was the one ordering all the stuff. And so when whenever someone would come by, like saying like, let's say they had something that I didn't want, like let's say, what, what do I not want at dim sum? Like um, I, I don't know, like some random bun or something, or like some or like fried shrimp or fried fr- something fried. I was like, why would I get that? Right, right. Anyways, they'd have that in a bowl, and they're like, you want this? Or they have like steam. Eilon, and then I was like, "Why would I want that?" And I go, you and you," and I just wave them off. That's it. I don't say anything else beyond that. And I'm just like, I realize I don't do that anywhere else. Like I just go, I just go, no, no, that's it. Do and I, you- I just miss them. You know, that's how I do. Quick
0: question: <laughs> Do you find that if they find out that you do speak Canto, do you find that they get ruder because they know that you speak it,
1: or like? Ooh. I don't know. I have a funny anecdote with my brother, actually. He told me that one time he was trying to speak Cantonese at a dim sum place and then they spoke Cantonese back to him and then he couldn't understand it. And then he was like, uh, he said, sorry, I don't understand. And then the person yelled at them saying, why are you even trying then? Dude,
0: okay. I was about to say, I was like, it's embarrassing if you, if you, order in in mandarin and then they start speaking to you and you're like I actually don't know what
1: you're yeah. saying like can't speak i can speak but i can't listen like sick, yeah 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 sick, sick 10 sick gong
0: <laughs> dude i have that like now i try to now like when i'm ordering at chinese places i try to improve my mandarin by like ordering uh-huh. but i like have to look up exactly what i'm ordering and order nothing else, so they can't ask me any other <laughs>
1: questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I try to anticipate those questions as well. Though, that said, yeah. now, are you asking me this in the context of dim sum restaurants, or just Cantonese in general, when I talk to uh, Cantonese restaurants?
0: I feel like just dim sum in general, because I, I don't know, I feel like if you speak to them in their language, I feel like they're kind of like, okay, so you, it's like fine if we're a word to you, because you get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, right. The, yeah, I think it's like that assumption, you know, and so yeah. they're like, okay, so... It's kind of like they just go on to the next thing. They don't have time to think about, oh, this guy speaks Cantonese. So like, right, it's right. just more so like, oh, he speaks Cantonese. I'll just speak in Cantonese and then just move on with it. If, if he's too slow, fuck it, like, you know, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna wait for him, I'm not gonna be patient, yeah, because my experience of speaking Cantonese with other restaurants is usually really positive, they usually try to teach me, oh, really, because they know I'm learning, oh, and I wow. tell them ahead that's of time, nice. I call them, and I say, I'm learning Cantonese right now, it's okay if I speak Cantonese with you, and they're like, of course, they're like, oh my god, yes, dude, dim sum
0: people, dim some ladies don't have the time for that, yeah,
1: dim sum is not like you're that wasting their all. time, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, well, you, when well, you, you're like, it's like, you know, which one do you want, it's like, that's, that's just how it is, you know, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, right off the bat, when I go to a dim sum place, I speak Cantonese. So I can't tell if they, there's a sh- tonal shift when they realize that I speak mm. Cantonese versus English, because I'm not even speaking English when I get in there in the first place, right? I look Americanized maybe, but yeah, I'm not sure. It's, it, it is pretty hard to tell, but that said, I do get a level of rudeness from other people for sure.
0: Yeah. I think another thing though, is uh, pricing too. Like they always do it by like size of the plates and stuff. But, and I feel like as a kid, like, it was pretty much same across the board, no matter what dim sum place we ate at. But then recently, like, maybe in the past five years, dim sum has become, I don't know, like, more appealing to non-Asians. And I feel like you can kind of see in the pricing, like, there are some fancy dim sum places now where, like, there's enough space between everybody's tables. (laughs) And, like, instead of ladies pushing a cart, you order off, like, a... Atomized menu
1: yeah 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 i've seen that too
0: so like that's been really interesting too because it's kind of like oh like when did dim sum become like a like a kind of fancy brunch ethnic experience <laughs> but the thing yeah. is
2: like i don't think that's isolated to the u.s like i think that's happening overseas as well like in taiwan mm. or in hong kong they have like kind of trendy dim sum places that have like like buns that are shaped like pigs and it's just like the atmosphere is like different. It's not the like the lighting in Yeah, the lighting's yeah. really
0: nice. They have like, and it's just like <laughs> they have It's like their version the of like brunch, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, great. Right. Yeah. That's
0: interesting. I'm
1: very really curious about these newer places that are rising and like how how they're set up is like sometimes you just order ahead of time and then you sit down, and they give it to you, you know? Instead of just yeah, really have you guys been to, to like stuff?
2: Dragon Bell in SF?
1: no i have uh, not have i wait i'm right? right i know it's right like an order ahead place they have do like they have the, the like multi five different
2: colors of dumplings yeah
1: oh what what well uh, what neighborhood? yeah is it yeah yeah i think there? i've been there mm-hmm. it looks like it's in richmond um, in richmond yeah
2: yeah so i actually think dragon bow is like very like comparable to like Fancier, upscale than some places that you might actually find in China or like in yeah. Hong Kong
1: yeah because I think yeah.
2: they have like this kind of like colored dumplings there as well and just like they have some really fancy shit in China
1: did you like the food
2: like they, they've caught onto the Instagram as well
1: yeah yeah definitely um did you like the food though like how was that food itself from your experience um,
2: there? I think it was good like I don't I don't remember, like, having anything bad to say about How it. How
1: expensive was it? <laughs> it
2: was definitely expensive,
1: though. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. I think I recall my brother actually sent me um, a photo because he was on a date and um, went to one of these dim sum places in San Jose, I think, in the su- southern peninsula of the Bay Area, and he sent it to the family group chat. And my brother was like, this place is so ridiculously expensive. And he's, he showed me a picture of green, like, dumplings. And my mom was just kind of like, no dim sum should ever have to be that expensive. Because my brother was saying how much each dish was. I can't remember what the price was, but it was really high. And my mom was like, no dim sum dish should ever be that expensive. Like, why don't you just go to a regular place? That's what my mom said. But why
2: can't there be upscale dim sum restaurants?
1: Why can't they up their game and charge more and
2: have it be like an upscale experience?
0: Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. Like, I think... um, there's like a thing in the industry where cheap eats is synonymous with ethnic food. And it's like how come how come a white person can charge $20 for avocado toast, but like we we can only charge $5 for 30 dumplings. Like it obviously right, takes yeah. way more skill and material to make dumplings <laughs> than than smashing avocado on a piece of toast. <laughs> so like what is that? <laughs> but also like like uh, another thing though it's like I feel some internal conflict because I'm like yeah like Asians should be able to charge more for dim sum like those little shumai like I can't even imagine how hard a shumai is to make but also uh, I don't want to be paying <laughs> that
1: much you know I-, I was thinking about your question about why is it cheap eats are s- synonymous with ethnic food and I'm curious is because we as a minority do we charge cheap because as a minority, it's, it's kind of like we don't really come with that wealth that comes with being, with that generational wealth that comes with being white. And so if we want to be able to embrace our cultures and traditions, we want it to be accessible, relatively accessible compared to an avocado toast coffee shop, right? Hmm. That's why I'm thinking. That's the first thing I was thinking as well. It's like, you know, you have these ethnic enclaves like Chinatown and um, throughout history with Asian Americans we kind of band together in these neighborhoods and communities and we open these businesses so that we can support each other and also be able to when we immigrate to america we kind of want to be able to express and participate in our culture still while we're here that's how these businesses arose that's how chinatown for example arose and so when, when we first immigrated here with like relatively little money do we want that to be cheap eats so so that way it's accessible? So it's like, if we made it too expensive, only white people would be able to embrace our our culture, only
0: the wealthy
1: can, right?
0: I think the problem with cheap eats though, like quote cheap eats, is that when a, like for example, there's a chef in LA, I think, who started selling dumplings recently for a dollar a piece. And he was, I'm pretty sure white, if anything, just not Asian. And it's like, why do then these people who aren't Asian can upsell upsell their product for a much more, or a higher price? And those that are of Asian descent and like probably actually came from Asia, like people are like, oh, well, I don't know. This should just be less. So it's more of like a pricing thing when non- Asian people come into play right yeah so like why can like white people upsell like for example like I'm just gonna start throwing in some restaurants but like one in New York that I was like a little off like that was a little off-putting for me was Winson because like I know their head chef is white Mm. and I went to eat there and I think one of their dishes was like $15 and I was like for what what did you
1: get for 15 bucks
0: I'm pretty sure it was um, a rice dish. I forgot which one, but it's, like, one of their famous rice dishes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it might have also
0: been a minced pork bowl, I okay. think. I okay. think that's, that might also be something that they're known for. But I think it was, like, $15 or $17 because they, like, put a ton of scallions on it.
1: That's, like, double price like, from what you can get, like, anywhere yeah, else, Yeah, right? and
0: it's, like, and, like, it's kind of, like, why does this guy get a charge seventeen dollars and then if i go to chinatown someone is like oh my god fifteen dollars for this mince pork roll, mince pork bowl that's way too expensive but like all these people are like oh winson's charging seventeen dollars like that's fine with me <laughs> it's like what how come they get a profit off so much off this food
1: yeah it's like so your exasperation is or kind of like your your observation is that you're noticing that people are more willing to spend x amount of money for a dish that's made by a white guy or or, or from a quote-unquote fancier or or um, upscale restaurant then they are yeah. willing to spend the same amount of money somewhere like from an actual like ethnic enclave or from an actual like small business
0: right um, that's not and that it, doesn't it might have s- that reputation it, yeah and it might tend to be like i mean like i don't know maybe like quality of ingredients have to do with it and then like obviously people are paying for ambiance as well like you're paying or like how well the restaurant could is even be degraded. location
1: too rent it could be that too i mean they could be in a yeah. very particular neighborhood that's not normally associated with chinese food and so therefore everyone... but then
0: why are people so eager to support a restaurant in brooklyn versus a restaurant in china town too like what is the difference there
1: it's kind of uh i'm skipping into our notes <laughs> about what, what i think but i think part of the dynamics is that i think historically we've seen that We've come to the point where we've internalized that white people are cultural are seen as cultural authority figures, even over You're other right. cultures, and how continuously and historically we are internalized to think that something isn't cool until white people say it is. And in this case, yeah. Winsun is like that case where it's like, oh, like they they try to rebrand themselves, they kind of distance themselves from its Asianness, and say, go, oh, we're trying to serve up a different, new authentic, the new quote unquote new authentic or new traditional dish, and Look at me, I'm a white guy and I've like learned how to cook this and I can bridge the gap between Asian and Western from East and I can bridge the gap between East and West to bring these dishes to you. And the one example I want to give is that, you know, I think this goes back to how as kids, we don't say that Chinese people introduced noodles to the Italians. We say that Marco Polo brought back noodles from China to Italy to help create pasta.
0: So Wait, it's like the,
1: I never heard that before. I don't know. I, I I grew up. I kind of okay. So maybe this is an individual experience. But I grew okay. Up, yeah, I
0: was like, I never heard that.
1: I grew up. I kind I of. Believe I believe
0: it. I believe. Yeah. people Told you that. Yeah, I believe it. I don't. Not gonna discredit you.
1: <laughs> I grew up with a history lesson that Marco Polo was the one who brought back noodles from China to help create pasta in Italy, and so okay. the the perspective that I never got was Chinese people introduced noodles to the Italians. It was Marco Polo traveled to China. Hmm found the noodles brought them back to italy so it's like that idea that someone has to be someone has to be the bridge between the east and the west the east can't introduce anything to the west someone has to be the middleman to bridge them together and that's how that's and basically in this case what we see is white chefs white chefs are constantly being used and subsequently scrutinized to bring quote-unquote bring eastern culture and eastern cuisine to western audiences you see that in bon appetit right you see that in the restaurants that very that you're talking about like Winsun. sun they're they're the very embodiment of that and so yeah it's this idea that white people like nothing is cool unless a white per- person says it is right and then suddenly it's the new hip thing and then it becomes it's the price is justified it's in a neighborhood that's not typically Asian. So it's like, oh, this adds some new spice in the neighborhood. We should support it. We should check it out. I want to see what kind of food they have. Also, like, this is like a, a blending of both worlds. That's kind of how I saw it. And that's how I get yeah. the impression I get from those restaurants as well, is that it's not exactly completely Asian. It's like a mix of East and West. It's like this amalgamation.
0: I think also this reminds me of um, this line I read in David Chang's memoir where he says, I think the reason why minority chefs in America find cultural appropriation so upsetting is that we feel obliged to uphold these arbitrary prescriptions while white chefs do whatever they want. We're following the rules and they're not. Most of the time, they don't even bother to learn the rules. And like that really kind of sit with me because it was kind of like, I mean, we've also talked about this, of like the line between appreciation and appropriation. Yeah. And ultimately for me, it's appreciation and not appropriation if the community you're profiting off of, you give back to that community, yeah, yeah. So as long as you're pumping money back into the Asian communities, it seems more like appreciation because like you're you're helping uplift the community at least, yeah, yeah. Um, but the other problem I think I have with white chefs opening up just not, American I don't know restaurants is that like they're taking up space that could be given to someone else right like this is this is a space that they're intruding in on where I'm like there are plenty of like Mexican Latin, whatever like Asian doesn't even matter like there's plenty of chefs who like need that space and that they should be the ones taking up the space, but here we are white people taking up space again, creating some fusion restaurant, and it's like dude like let someone else. Let someone else do it.
1: (laughs) It does make me think of this question about, like, from Chang's quote, is it that we place this pressure on ourselves to live an authentic lifestyle and maintain and uphold traditions so we can teach them to white people? Or are we just mad at this perceived bastardization of our cultures? Like, what I think it could be both, but it does make me think about those two aspects where I think part of our exasperation is that we see these white people, like, opening these restaurants and suddenly we're like what makes you in a cultural authority figure over Chinese food or Mexican food or etc and right and it's kind of like this idea where it's like we have to live this authentic this quote-unquote authentic life because we want to be the ones who are the cultural authorities not them right and so, well I get that too go ahead Jen
2: I think part of it is that when they're taking on this role of being the cultural authority figure is like that's erasure of our people Mm -hmm. our representation and our traditions and like I think that's the issue that I have with it because like it should be an Asian American for example like representing the culture authority for like Taiwanese food or for dim sum or ramen not like some white dude being like oh yeah I went to you know China and studied how to make dumplings and now I'm an expert Like, I don't care. (laughs) Like
0: (laughs) You're just a white guy. Um, Yeah, I think another thing, though, is that, like, what we're also seeing, though, is that, like, if an Asian chef wanted to open up an Italian restaurant, I feel like everyone would be like, what are you doing opening up an Italian restaurant? Like, (laughs) Like, stick to making dumplings or something. And it's like, well, then how come, like, white people can do whatever they want? but, like, we, everyone else has to stay in their lane, so then, if we are supposed to stay in our lane, why people get out of my lane, (laughs) like, go, (laughs) yeah, and I think fusion now is interesting, because, like, food is evolution, like, trends, you know, also evolve, too, so I think that's why um, getting into maybe some of the restaurants that we've eaten at, where we're kind of like, hmm, this is a this isn't quite right <laughs> or, or like, uh, like what's happening here? But I know I, I talked about Wensan a little bit. Um, Jen, I don't know if you've had any New York experiences where you're like, this doesn't seem right.
2: <laughs> this doesn't seem right. Well like, okay, yeah, I don't want to like drag any restaurants because there are a lot of really <laughs> great like new wave Taiwanese or like Chinese like Sichuan Hunan restaurants in like East Village and Lower East Side and wherever and I love that that's happening
1: mm-hmm.
2: um but I did have like one of those moments uh, there's this place called 886 in East Village and it's a Taiwanese restaurant I believe it's opened by a an Taiwanese American and um I've had like mixed experiences going there but I think it's all like what you expect like I've had some dishes mm-hmm. be really good like very authentic and like tastes just like you know home um like the lo ba bang, which is like the pork belly over rice and their sambeji, the three cup chicken was also really good and then there's one time when i ordered their beef rolls um and like it's supposed to be like a scallion pancake and there's like thinly cut mm-hmm. beef in the middle and like a bunch of green onion, like rolled up. But then they added like this like spicy mayo into it. And the consistency was like ultimately like nacho cheese. And like, it was just really (laughs) unpleasant to eat. And like, it was really hard to like remove it from the roll too, because it was just all over it. And I was just like, I don't know why they had to add this. And like, it would just been so much better without it. I've been to so many restaurants, fusion or traditional that serve beef rolls. It's a very classic dish and no one has ever done this. And like, you know, they might just be experimenting, maybe like, I don't know. I I would love to hear the chef's story behind it. Like he's probably trying to fuse dishes, but I've I've always like never been a fan of spicy mayo. It's just, it's just Mm. not used well. People just throw it on, they're like, yeah, fusion. (laughs)
1: it's used on sushi all the time but
2: it's like american sushi that's not like how they make yeah
1: exactly right yeah Yeah. it's so i wonder if it's like if this is because it makes me think of how almost every japanese restaurant every sushi place you go to now has like some sort of roll that has sriracha mayo on it right and like in your case, Jen, when you went to AA6, where you believe it's actually open and owned and operated by a Taiwanese American, it's like, are they trying to appeal to Western sensibilities, like the Western palette?
2: Probably, <laughs>
1: That's what it is. And so like, it's like a kind of like a gray area at that point where it's like, well, I don't know how I feel about this dish, but I understand that it's trying to appeal to people who are not me maybe, in some ways. <laughs> this, this reminds yeah. me of when we went to Joy, Allison. Um, have you been to Joy? Oh, again? The
0: Being? Are you, are you talking about The Being? What's that? Are you going to talk about the bing that we ordered?
1: Uh, the bing? Try the... It
0: was, we ordered a bing, and I think we got egg and oh, okay. cheese on yeah, it. Yeah, I'm thinking of
1: that, but I didn't know it was, was called really bing. Weird. It was basically an onion, a green onion pancake, right? Like a scallion pancake or something like that. I don't like know that. if it had
0: scallions in it, but yeah, it was like a type of bing. It was
1: basically like a like your Asian
0: pancake. It's like a wrap. It's like an Asian wrap. It's
1: your Asian pancake. But what was interesting about it was that, that it was that dish that made me think, like, I don't know what Joy is. (laughs) And it was, like, how... It was, like, a quesadilla, basically, of, like, onion pancakes. (laughs) And it was, like, cheese and egg in the middle of it.
0: I think what was weird, though, is that, like, I've had... Like, in Taiwan, you can get, like, the breakfast is just a thin green onion pancake with an egg on top. Yeah. And, like, that's basically it. I think the weird part, I think, was the cheese, where I was, like... I think the cheese overpowered the Americ the Asian American but like the Americanist took over with it the cheese it
1: just felt like I was eating a quesadilla at that point with the Asian twist to it <laughs> like that's what it felt like which is so odd to me and like I think it made me realize that cheese is a dead giveaway for me that right it's not exactly yeah Asians still Asian. use cheese a lot che- cheese, cheese for yeah. sure yeah cheese in yeah chi- in Chinese cheese is actually a phoneticized word which means that it was an import into China oh, yeah cheese. Cheese. <laughs> yeah we say cheesy Right. It's like it's it's not even like a word that we came up with. It's 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 a word that was just imported from like the West, I think. So it's like it's not something that we incorporated in our dishes early on. Right. It's like a new thing to us. Cheese is a dead giveaway for me where it's like, I don't know how to feel about this place anymore.
2: <laughs> like on the topic of cheese, it's very interesting because in a lot of Korean restaurants, they add cheese on top of like mm. a stew, like That's the budajigae or like yes. on top yeah. of bibimbap and Corn that's the thing cheese, that, you, cheese, that they yeah. do in Crazy. in korea and like it's really popular there like they love it like it's obviously a fusion thing because cheese is an import but like in that case it like goes well with the dish i think i think you know some of these like the beef rolls and like the egg roll like these are just like fu- attempted fusions that were a miss. you know like maybe we just like our palates didn't like it yeah, yeah. but but she's worked on like
1: korean food it makes me wonder then it, it, maybe like these things that these new foods that we see maybe we just they need to stand the test of time before we can accept it and like i wonder if when corn cheese first became a thing koreans were like what the hell is this you know <laughs> or like well like what is this cheese right it's like
2: <laughs> yeah it sounds really dumb right like... yeah
1: it sounds dumb as hell it's like cheese like corn have you guys made it I've made it before, yeah, with Brianna. Okay, I've
0: made it before, <laughs> and I was like, "This is the most unhealthy thing ever." But you know, I'm still gonna eat it. But like, this is like, so unhealthy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does um, make me wonder, though. Like, if 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 when it was first released, like, it was the same reaction that we had to the beef mayo roll or to the uh, Chinese Taiwanese quesadilla that we had at Joy. I think. Like, I wonder if it's it might be over time.
0: Interesting, though, if it's like corn cheese started off as like a street fair food thing. But then over time, it became ingrained into culture. So like maybe at first it was a fad until yeah it got ingrained too. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, I don't know. Yeah, could be I know the too. history of corn cheese. <laughs> so
2: I've also heard like mixed things about joy, but it's also isn't that also opened by a Taiwanese American?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm the, pretty sure. I don't think it the is. staff was Thai, was Asian, so that's why it was. I'm pretty sure the girl who took our order was Asian. Oh, was she? <laughs> I could be, I could be misremembering it because it's been
0: a couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's been like two about two
1: years now, but
2: yeah, I, I can't um, recall. Have you guys heard of um, uh Yang's Kitchen in Alhambra? I,
1: don't I, think, I think I have. Think so. I feel like that name is familiar.
2: <laughs> so the story is like I was visiting LA and I was like researching new places to try, and I think it was on like one of Eater's list. They're like, oh yeah, Yang's Kitchen. They have beef noodle soup. It's Taiwanese-American, like, it's, and it's really good. So I was like, oh, I gotta try this place. And it's pretty interesting because they definitely do have a fusion approach. Like, the beef noodle soup, the noodles, they make in-house, but they're, like, whole wheat noodles, which I was like, oh, like Oh, interesting. <laughs> just, just throw some kale in there. Like, <laughs> might as well just
1: <laughs> just make it, like, why don't
2: you do that? But I was like, I, I still tried it. And, like, their, their beef rolls, they do, like, open face. Like they didn't even roll it up. They're like, oh, yeah, this is like oh. our like fusion spin on it. And they also put like all these different toppings that aren't really traditional, but like he's trying to like do this little fusion spin. And you know, I didn't really like the open face beef roll, but the beef noodle soup was still really good even though it was like whole wheat noodles. And I think they they were trying to go with like a health theme. They had like kombucha on tap, and it's like kind of weird. I'm like, it's weird to like be in this brightly lit space, like decorated all millennial style eating beef noodles. Mm. Yeah. But, also having kombucha but maybe that's just like (laughs) where the world is going like you know like food culture like evolves and like yeah and like some things you may not like but some things could be good
1: I was gonna say that it sounds like it's kind of trying to appeal to modern sensibilities and like It's funny because I feel like historically Asian food has always been kind of scrutinized and criticized for being unhealthy or being Mm -hmm. filled with mysterious ingredients. People, you know, white people got all hung up about the fact that there was so much MSG in our food. And saying it was like Oh my nice. eyes, yeah. the MSG
2: propaganda. Yeah,
1: yeah, the MSG, pro- the MSG myth. The erasure. It's racism. <laughs> it's racism. Yeah. It really is, though. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> it's funny because like now you see these Chinese restaurants. It's almost like they're trying to take ownership, kind of reclaiming that identity, that status in Asian food, and kind of subverting that expectation to be like millennials can enjoy whole wheat noodles too you know or you know and also have some kombucha with this like beef noodle soup (laughs) yeah it's like that it's like appealing to modern sensibilities to kind of subvert that uh historical framework almost as as I see it
2: yeah it could be like since he's you know Taiwanese American he could be taking like parts of the restaurant experience that he does like and trying to bring Mm. that into like his own culture and present
1: it Truly Taiwanese American in that case, then, right? Yeah. Especially the American part of getting kombucha at a uh, shop and having. (laughs) I mean, I
2: was really into that part. I
1: was like, this is amazing. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I know. It's like, it's something that we grow up with, and that it's like, it's now. It's like very much the modern thing now. And so it's like appealing to that sensibility for sure.
2: Yeah, for sure if, like, it was some white person opened it, I would have been like, (laughs) kombucha? No. (laughs) I would have, like, dragged them
0: for the exact same thing. that's actually really funny uh, like, white, people really and their kombucha.
1: white people and their kombucha <laughs> meanwhile asian person oh kombucha <laughs> yeah
0: they're like I, I don't know i feel like see it's the it. it's like it's the asian authority we're like okay yeah that's like that makes sense <laughs> i was
1: gonna say like when we see an asian face we just kind of automatically assume that they kind of had this cultural upbringing because i'm just kind of like i think trust. it's just
0: kind of like i trust them you yeah. know yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I like you?
0: trust their pal. I trust their palate. And you
1: luckily had you likely had it. Asian parents, so I trust that you actually know a little bit about what you're about to make for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> that blind. Okay. Like
2: him choosing to have kombucha at his restaurant is kind of like him doing whatever he wants. Yes, like you know how you were talking about yeah, like yeah. white chefs do whatever they want. Plus right, right, right. Being like, I just want to have that.
1: Reclaim uh, that freedom, I- <laughs> that liberty. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's time for us to break the rules. Have you guys heard of Woon in L.A.? No. Woon? It's in like I don't think so. Where is it? It's in, like, Echo Park, historic Filipino town. Hmm. I think oh, okay. it's, like, relatively newer. Um, I didn't know about it until, like, after I graduated. But they do Chinese food. But it's, like, a really cute interior. It's, like, super aesthetic inside. They have all these, like, custom furniture that's, like, really beautiful and it's like opened by like um, a Chinese American and he cooks Mm -hmm. all of his like mom's recipes and his mom is like involved in the kitchen. So it's like a really cute like family business. Okay. Um, And they're most famous for their um, like stir-fried beef noodles and some of the other things on their menu include like a pork belly bao which is really good like one of the best I ever had. Um and they also have like some fusion things, like they have these like wok fried potato chips that I thought were like oh, interesting. I don't, I don't know what that means by order <laughs> it was fucking amazing. Oh wow. Um they're yeah, just like absolutely. really crispy because they're because fr- they're fried in a wok. Yeah. And then they have this dessert that's like an ice cream bow. So they like deep fry one of the bows and then um they put like a scoop of fat scoop of like ube ice cream have you ever had like a halo from b-sweet <laughs> i don't know if you guys are b-sweet people i've, I've, B-Sweet. I've had halo yeah i've had it yeah, yeah it's like
1: yeah, ice cream inside yeah. a donut because
2: the donut yeah. the donut's warm the ice cream's cold they're like yeah balanced. yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that
1: oh okay, okay yeah
2: i really so i really like their food but there's this one like yelp review that i just thought was like hilarious and my friend like showed it to me i just like screenshot it and sometimes i just like look at it i think it's funny but it's like okay this guy called patrick l left two stars on yelp for Woon, and it says to one phrase to summarize the place white people's asian food and then he <laughs> writes like uh, like paragraphs about each dish he had and like how bad they tasted and how like it wasn't seasoned well. And then Keegan, he's he's the owner of the place. He's the Chinese American. And he replies and he's like, hey Patrick, like thanks for visiting and thank you for leaving a review. I'm sorry you didn't have a good experience. But then he like says like, I like to address like some parts of your review. And he says, especially the part where he calls it white people's Asian dude. He's like, well, I'm actually Chinese. And my mom was born in Shanghai and grew up in Hong Kong and these are all of her recipes, (laughs) and it's just, like, really interesting, because, like, this, this person calls it, like, white people's Asian food, but it's actually his mother's recipes, who's, like, from China,
1: right? So like the reviewer was Asian himself.
2: Yeah. From his profile picture, it looks like he is. Okay. It's a Patrick
0: L. Hmm,
1: But I can't,
0: I can't be sure. I love reviews at, like, Asian restaurants, and it's, left by like white people and they're like, this is some of the best Chinese food I've ever had. And
1: I'm
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like why do I give why do I give a shit if you think this is some of the best <laughs> I've ever had? Like what? And then I hate I hate it though when they're like, I've had better Thai food or like like they know something. They're like, I've had better Thai food than this. And I'm like, you're white. Like I
1: don't I know, trust like your what, what's better food. to you? Like more salt? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But it does make me think about how the owner of Woon said that his mom was born in Shanghai and grew up in Hong Kong. Both of those cities are highly westernized. And I think it's easy to assume that Asian cultures are kind of developing in their own bubble when that's really not the case, especially in China and Hong Kong, where Hong Kong was a British colony for like 97 years. Shanghai is like the most westernized city in China. And the bun section literally looks like a section of England, like Europe, like a downtown metropolitan area of England. And it's highly westernized. And I think we kind of assume that these Asian cultures are kind of developing in the bubble when they're actually quite westernized. And so I was even for my birthday this past August, I wanted to have Hong Kong food and I was looking up what is considered Hong Kong food. Like dim sum can be it, yeah. But other Hong Kong food is like um, chicken a la king which is like a very European-inspired dish, but it just became popular in Hong Kong. And so I think about that as well, how there's some stuff that we've just taken on in Hong Kong that are highly Westernized. And does that does that become authentic? Because it's just its own thing. now. Yeah. In the case of Woon, maybe the Yelp Rivera does have a point saying it's white people's Asian food because it's maybe a little too Westernized or caters to Western sensibilities. But That doesn't make it less authentic because it is from his mom's recipes. His mom grew up in two areas in China and and Hong Kong that were highly Westernized, and so that's going to make an impact on what kind of dishes that ends up being put out there, what kind of recipes are being put out there.
2: Yeah, I think I think like that Westernization, like I I see a lot of it in like Vietnamese food, like banh mi, like the baguette, and like
1: yeah, yeah, it's like a reclamation too. It becomes their own thing.
2: Yeah, but the thing was like, is like when you read about like the history of it is that when, you know, they were colonized, they, it's not like they like Mm -hmm. wanted, it's not like they were like, oh, this is like a great culinary fusion. It was kind of like they were forced to like take these bread scraps and like turn into food because of like poverty and things like that. So when you think about the history, that's that's why it's like, it's, it's, it's entangled, but... I feel like I don't know what the right words are, but
0: <laughs> like they take what was given to them and then made it their own thing. It's a troubled
1: pa- past and a troubled history for sure, and it. But what came out of it ended up being this, and then again, it stood the test of time for it to become its own thing. Yeah. Right, and maybe that might happen with a mayo beef roll or with a <laughs> uh, <laughs> with a, <laughs> with the title these <laughs> <Okay>. quesadilla. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I hope not. I think um, maybe just to like close off the episode, but some like resources people can go to if they like want to learn more. I really enjoy the studio ATAO. Like they have a toolkit on food media has a tokenization problem. Um, We'll link that in the bio, but if you guys read through that, I think it's a really good resource into getting into food politics. And I also really recommend the God of Cookery Instagram page. Like, the guy who runs it is like so good at calling stuff out like even just recently I think I saw some some there's like a new I think restaurant in Canada where they're selling like broth and they're like this is like the new hip thing but it I think what they're selling is like the pho broth or something and just like (laughs) like like, selling it off as like whatever like a hip healthy broth to go yeah, like a broth to go thing. And then, yeah, he called it out. But yeah, those are some resources that I think that he are was really right. great. To- Prada
1: cooker is my favorite follow this year, honestly. Yeah,
0: yeah he Absolutely. called out
1: the... the moon what cake. was it? Was it like a it was mooncake recipe. Yeah, it was like yeah. a chocolate mooncake thing. Like, I understand if you're going to try to make mooncake, but don't call it offensive mooncake, you know? Especially if you're going to eat, yeah. eat the yolk out. Okay, well,
2: that's, in- that's another interesting thing where, like, in you know, Taiwan and Asia, they are like, what a mooncake is, is changing. Like my mom is sending me stuff about like jelly mooncakes, you know, like there's like snow skin mooncakes and like they're doing weird shit with mooncakes. It's it's pretty cool. And I think all that matters is like who is doing
1: it, who is controlling the narrative, you know? Yeah. And who's profiting, who's making the money, you know, ultimately it comes down to that.
0: I think I think at the end of the day, it's all about like who's profiting. But what I do remember from the mooncake fiasco was the this is like what I hate when like white chefs get called out and then they start to defend themselves by being like I was in China for X number of years no. and that is why I am that that is why I thought I had a pass to do X Y and Z and I'm like yo I do not care how long you, <laughs> I don't care how long you're in China like tilling the land okay right, yeah. <laughs> not a qualifier <laughs> immigrants here tilling the land and still <laughs> don't have yeah. any anything exactly but yeah i, I just feel like white chefs love to do that they're like i went to this place like once And now I'm an expert. And I'm like, I've been in America for like forever. I don't know anything still.
1: (laughs) Right, you know, it's like quite troubling because a lot of these white chefs have large platforms because they're already very popular. And so they're using Mm -hmm. these platforms in the worst way imaginable, which is like spreading essentially cultural misinformation and how it's like, what made you the authority to even use your platform in this way? So it's it's also a matter of that too. I think that kind of covers it though. Um, yeah, I, think
0: that's so I it.
1: Some, less, some lessons we have from this uh, conversation on food is that ultimately looking at, we should always be a little bit critical and a little bit skeptical or kind of take some more time to kind of think about who's profiting off of the food that surrounds us, the food that kind of defines our culture. So a lot to think about, so I hope this Thanksgiving we can all kind of uh, get a little something from this conversation. This conversation has made me very hungry, so I can't wait to eat after this episode. <laughs> and yeah, so have a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Thank You Enjoy. And we hope you enjoyed it. This episode of Thank You Enjoy was produced by Casey Lee, audio mixed and edited by Ethan Lee, graphic and logo design by Chris Kim on Instagram at Chuffamation and intro and outro music by yours truly, Ethan Lee.